Welcome to Mindset Reset Radio. I'm your host, Jess, and I'm on a mission to help female entrepreneurs like you get intentional in life and business. So if you're feeling stuck, you're looking for inspiration, or you just want to be reminded that you're not alone on this crazy entrepreneurial journey, you've landed in the right place. You can join our community of intention getters on Instagram at Jessica Thiefels, that's me, and you can learn more about how I can support you in business and mindset at jessicathiefels.com. Finally, if you love what you hear, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. I'll be forever grateful. Now, sit back, grab a journal, and get ready to start living with intention. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Mindset Reset Radio. We are here today with Sam Caro, who is the co-founder and CTO of Dwell Well. She spent the majority of her career in startups from Preact, acquired by Spotify in 2016, to Reddit, and is now using her engineering prowess and leadership to bring the home buying process into the 21st century with Dwell Well. She is passionate about diversifying the tech ecosystem through inclusive hiring and training and has successfully developed internal training programs to elevate underrepresented groups, achieving the goal of increasing the visibility and salaries of program participants. She's a leader in the women in tech space and has spoken at the Grace Hopper Celebration and Women in Tech Summit. She strives to build an equitable, empathetic, and results-driven engineering culture. I'm so excited to have you here and talk today. Welcome, Sam. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's it's a real joy to, to be chatting with you today. Sweet. Well, before we jump in, I'm really curious about this topic. But first, give us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Sure. So um, I would say I have a fairly untraditional background as someone who's in tech, which we're seeing more and more lately, which I'm like thrilled about. But I got my career started really in like 2013. So back in 2013, um, engineering boot camps were like not a thing. I mean, this was really probably the first year that anyone had ever heard of an engineering boot camp. And I was kind of floundering. I was waitressing. I had a bachelor's degree in marketing. And I was like, I have no idea what I want to do. So on a whim, I had like heard about Dev Boot Camp, which is now defunct, but it was one of the first engineering boot camps camps of its time. I moved up to San Francisco, lived in a hostel for three months, and worked like 14 hours a day learning to code. <clears throat> and I will say, I am not someone for who coding comes naturally. Like it's not, mm-hmm. I'm not like into video games. I'm not into hardware. I would say I'm a late adopter actually in tech. And so it just really wasn't natural, but I knew that I wanted to do something that other people thought I wouldn't be able to do. Mm. It's kind of like spite driven, which was, I mean, now in retrospect, I'm like, hey, that was a a good choice, but- Worked out. (laughs) Yeah, it worked out. Um, And so after that, I got a, I somehow landed my first job at a really small startup in Los Angeles. We were doing like predictive user modeling where we could make predictions about what different user groups were going to do. I was so broke when I joined that startup that I actually had to live in the office for like a week or two because (laughs) I didn't have any money to like get an apartment or anything like that. And so it was like mortifying and humiliating having to live in this office, but it was a startup. They were like, yeah, that's cool. Um, I stayed with that company for two and a half years. Uh, They got acquired by Spotify in 2016, which is when I went over to Reddit. Um, I spent five years at Reddit. I loved it. Uh, really learned how to be a senior engineer there and ultimately ran a couple different 
engineering teams there. We were responsible for the web platform performance globally for all of our Mm. web products for Reddit, which was like crazy in retrospect. That was amazing. And then my co-founder and I decided to quit our jobs and build Dwellwell. You can think of it like TurboTax for home buying. And um, like the home buying ecosystem is really lacking in a product for consumers who are like, how the hell do I buy a house? Like none of this makes any Mm -hmm. sense. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, That's what Dwell is there for, to help you teach you what you're supposed to do, all the complicated parts of it. So that's like a really brief um, career journey for me. Like my bio said, I love helping underrepresented groups in tech, specifically women is my focus. Um, I spend a lot of time mentoring women in the tech space. So that's a little bit more about me. Cool. My my first question is has nothing to do with the topic. How did you go from Reddit to home buying? So, <laughs> great question. <clears throat> so, I my co-founder and I worked together at Preact, that first startup that I mentioned that got acquired by Spotify. So, we had a working relationship together. I had moved back down to LA. He's from LA, so he was down here. And he it was the middle of the pandemic. He called me up and he's like, me, I'm trying to buy a house, but I'm having such a hard time figuring out what to do. And if mm-hmm. someone like me, who has a MBA, he has, he got his undergrad from USC. He's a really smart, financially savvy guy. And he's like, if I'm having trouble, <clears throat> there's no way that the average person like knows what they're doing. And you're going to spend anywhere, like in California, you're going to spend a million dollars, the biggest purchase of your life and have no idea what you're doing. And by the way, every vendor that you work with gets paid based off of how Mm. much you pay for the house. Like, doesn't that seem so crazy? And he, he called me and I was like, Matt, you're out of your fucking mind. I was like, I'm working at Reddit. Reddit's going to IPO. Like I'm not leaving. (laughs) Yeah. But he convinced me because he was like, Sam, you're someone who should know how to buy a house. And I had no idea. He was like, you're college educated. You have some like baseline level of intelligence and you're, you've come from three generations of homeowners. Like, right anyone should know what they're doing. It should be someone like you. And I had no idea. And so in that moment, I was like, this is so obvious to me. It felt like, it felt like, you know how now you're like, wow, Uber, what an obvious idea. Mm -hmm. It just seemed so obvious that there was no way that I could say no. Yeah. And so that's how he, that's how he got me. He hooked me. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Big move to leave Reddit for that. And now how long have you guys been working on that? just about two years. So we went out for kind of like friends and family funding. We just wanted to raise like 250 grand to, so we could quit and maybe hire on a couple Mm -hmm. people. We ended up raising a million and a half, which was crazy. I mean, I had no idea how to even run a fundraise, you know, two years ago. And so we really lucked out. We only pitched one VC And we didn't even think they were going to come in because we were so early. We just had a pitch deck, no team. We weren't full-time yet. Um, And they came in with a million bucks and the the rest is history. So that's incredible. Yeah, it was crazy. (laughs) Wow. Good for you guys. That is so cool. Um, Especially good for you. I mean, and now your partner is male, correct? Yep. But I know VC funding for women is like, the statistics are just disturbing. Oh, abysmal. Although I will say, so. Anthemis is our um, pre-seed lead investor, and they have a specific fund called the Female Innovators Lab. And so that was the fund from which we got our funding. And so Mm -hmm. I I would say the ecosystem is changing a bit, but the statistics are still like 
abysmal. So <laughs> yeah, it's still very, very upsetting. Um, but I'm glad that you got funding for this awesome project. Um, but I want to talk to you about something else today. So you let's just like start from the top. You developed this framework when you were working. Was it when you were working at Reddit? Give me like, start me at the beginning and then we'll just work our way through. Yes. So I developed a framework. Um, I actually don't have a name for the framework, but like the thesis is like, how do I find high impact work and make people pay attention? Mm. Um, I found myself struggling at Reddit to, I felt like my career was moving a lot slower than I would like. It wasn't progressing at the rate at which I, my expectations for myself were. And Mm. I would look around and I would see these like absolute superstar, I'll say engineers just because I'm an engineering, but it could really be in any um, department, any department, but I would see these people and I'm like, everyone reveres this person. This person gets so many accolades. They're like viewed as like the sweetheart of the company. How did they get there? And like, more importantly, how do I get there? Mm -hmm. I want to be the person that everybody is like, oh my God, you're a genius. You're so smart. You have the attention of the exec team. And I was like, how, how do I get that? Um, And so I was stumbling around trying to figure out how to achieve kind of that status. And so kind of the, the crux of this is, is something called the Matthew effect. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but the mm-hmm. Matthew effect basically states that those who already have status are often placed in situations where they gain more. And those that do not have that status typically struggle to achieve more. Mm-hmm. And so I sought out to say like, okay, how do I achieve that status so that I can have this compounding effect where like every single thing that I do gets recognized more and more and it creates this like virtuous circle of recognition. And so as I was stumbling along trying to figure this out for myself, I developed a framework uh, for how to reproduce this uh, for anybody. And so the framework is a four-step framework. The first okay. is um Identify a pain point that affects your organization as a whole. I'll get into that in a second. Uh, The second part of the framework is identify a minimum valuable fix. So what's the smallest amount of work that you personally can do that will have some effect on fixing not the entire problem, but just a small piece of the problem? The third in the framework is talk about it. This is actually the thing that most people have trouble with, specifically in engineering. Like people hate talking about their accomplishments in a a reasonable way. And then the last step of the framework is um, don't be the bottleneck. So create opportunities for others to jump in and help you complete um, or like finish or resolve the pain point. You don't want to become the bottleneck. The best part about creating a framework is when other people jump in and help, you still get weirdly, all the credit because you're the leader of Mm -hmm. the problem squad. Um, And so you can really have like a force multiplier effect when other people jump in to help you. So I can get into more detail here, but I'll leave it for questions that you have about this. I know it's a little vague until we get into specifics. Yeah, I think it's great. I like that there's four steps. I like to present to my listeners things that are like, here's how we take actions. And this is perfect. (laughs) Um, My first question is for entrepreneurs listening who, you know, like maybe we're trying to impress like a client. Like I'm trying to think like, we're not really trying to impress an executive. We're not trying to get Mm -hmm. there. How do you see this applying generally before we get into the specifics to women running a business? Yeah. So it was interesting. I like, so I gave this talk at 
Grace Hopper in 2019, which is the largest women in tech conference in the world. And so I was reviewing my slides, like kind of prepping for this podcast. And I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what you need to do when you're running a startup hmm. um, or even trying to figure out like what's next for me. Let's say you're straddling the line, like, should I jump into entrepreneurship? Um, should I leave my job? And I actually think this framework is exactly what you should do to prep for like VC funding or to like raise a team. The first is like identify a pain point that a lot of people mm -hmm. are affected by or a specific niche is affected by. Two, find the minimum valuable fix. So what is the smallest amount of work I can do that will fix this problem? Even if it's fixing the problem, like in kind of a shitty hacky way for that group of people, you don't have to, you don't have to fix the entire problem, just right. some small part of it. Uh, the second or the third, talk about it, right? PR, go on podcasts, like start writing blog posts, get the word out. And then the final thing is create a framework so others can jump in and help, which is like, hey, what is your business model so that VCs can come in and superpower your business? Um, what is the framework that allows you to make proper hiring decisions for bringing people mm -hmm. on? I mean, it just fits so perfectly that I was like, I need to review all my slides and like think about this for myself as an entrepreneur. This is exactly yeah. how you should develop the idea for a startup. So awesome. I love that. Okay. So we have the general idea and we have the overview. So do you think it would be helpful to talk specifically about each step? Yeah, I can talk about each step, um, kind of what I did at Reddit. So this will also yeah. be helpful. I think if you do have listeners, I listened to a, a podcast episode of yours called like your, uh, uh, not hitting rock bottom, but like hitting rock, oh, yeah, rock middle. middle. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is how I busted out of like rock middle for me. Mm -hmm. um, I love that. So I, Boulder, she's awesome. Yeah, it was, that was a great episode. And so I think this helps bust out of rock middle, but I also think it's a helpful framework for those who are looking for an idea. A lot of times I see people, actually women especially, kind of trying to prove that their startup idea is going to be like majorly successful before mm -hmm. taking the leap to do it. And if you spend so much time doing research and so much time flip-flopping on like, should I, shouldn't I, you're never going to do it. And so I think this framework is helpful for pushing people over the ledge of like, hey, just get out there and try to, do what's the worst thing that can happen? You'll have yeah. to go back to being a, a VP. Like, that's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Okay. Awesome. So let's go, let's start with the first step. So yeah. the first step is identifying. Problem. Yeah. Pain points. So for example, for me at Reddit, um, I identified a pain point that was basically our error logging. We were logging like 150 million error logs every single day. Wow. And this, like, there's a couple of reasons why that sucks. Uh, we use error logs for monitoring deploy health. So if I'm like sh pushing something to the general public, I need to look at the logs to see if a bunch of errors pop out. We use it for alerting to say like, oh, hey, th there seems to be a bug here. And then we also use it just for catching like errant bugs that might not be obvious at first. Um, but like I said, we were printing 155 million lines per day. And this was causing uh, everything to be super slow. So it was really painful to identify if your code had caused a bug. Because how are you going to discern right. your like errors from the 155 million lines that were getting printed every day? Also, we were running out of storage space. So our infrastructure team was getting pinged every other day to manually clear our storage logs and move them somewhere else. 
Um, our rollbacks, which that just means like when you um, uh, when you push code to the general public, and then if there's a bug, you have to like roll it back. Mm. Our rollbacks were also three times slower um, because it was so much more difficult to identify if there was something horrible happening on the site. And so I thought, okay, great. This is like very obviously a huge pain point. What is the minimum valuable fix that I can do that will have some like large effect? I don't need to get rid of all the error logs, just a chunk of them. Um, And I think the word minimum is important here, right? It Mm -hmm. defines the first bite-sized chunk of the problem, and it also serves as a proof of concept. Mm -hmm. Um, It prevents you from getting stuck or overwhelmed and also helps your project gain momentum, which again, all of these things are exactly what you need to do in like your shitty MVP for, for a startup that you're building. Like, what is the first bite-sized chunk of the problem that I can solve? I don't want to get overwhelmed, but like, what is the smallest amount of work that I can do that will make a meaningful impact? And so in this specific case for Reddit, I decided that the minimum valuable fix was fixing the error that was causing the infra team to get pinged every day. Or in other words, what's the most high volume error? So that at at a minimum, our infra team isn't getting pinged at like 2 a.m. to like clear out our error logs. Right. Uh, I ended up, what I did was I found what what is the most common thing being logged. I'm going to go find either that bug or that piece of code that is like just flooding our error logs. And I actually found, um, this is a little technical, but it, it, it was a flag that basically prints a line after every garbage collection that our system was using. So garbage collection, what that means is it's just like, hey, there's a bunch of code in memory that nobody, like we're not, we're not using it for anything. So let's like clean it up. And we were printing a line every single time that happened, which was all the time. And so I made a 10 character change in our code base that ended up reducing our error logs by 72%. So a reduction of of 110 million lines per day. That's crazy. And I was like, oh my God, that's great, right? To be clear, that's still bad. We're still printing about 40 million errors per day. <laughs> like my change, like the result was good, but like the end result was still bad and that's mm-hmm. okay. Right. It's like, if you think about building a startup and you're like, oh, the change that I made, like the system that I'm fixing is still bad, mm-hmm. but it's still 72% better than before. That's totally okay. And that's how it should be. You don't need to wait for things to be perfect before you can like launch your startup or start talking about it. So the third step, which I said was talk about it. Mm-hmm. So for me internally at Reddit, um, I posted about this in all of my engineering Slack channels. I obviously told my manager, my director, I presented about it at our company-wide all hands. And then I'm a little ballsy. I like directly messaged our CTO and I was like, look what I did. Hell yeah. Um, which is great. But I actually find that this is where most people get stuck, especially women. They mm-hmm. say, what do I say? How do I talk about it? And what I think they're really saying is, how do I talk about this without sounding arrogant? Mm-hmm. Um, I think is the underlying question. So first of all, I think if you if this even comes up for you, you're like, how do I talk about this without sounding arrogant? I guarantee you're not going to sound arrogant when talking about it. Just having had that thought, right. <laughs> yeah, you're probably protected. But here are a couple tips. Um, you can talk about how the work positively impacted the company or for a startup, right? How this work positively impacts the world or your customer base or whoever it is that you're targeting. Um, a really easy way to like a, a format is like, 
hey, this really bad thing was happening, whatever it is. Hey, our error logs were getting flooded and I fixed it so that the infra team isn't getting pinged every two days or whatever. So if you mm-hmm. think about a startup, as well, well, here's how I think about it. I say, hey, uh, the home buying process is broken specifically because people have no idea what order to do these steps in. We fixed it at Dwellwell. So now you can go through and get pre-approved, set your preferences, and then we match you with the real estate agent, for example. Um, There's a million things that I'd like to improve about that process, but at a minimum, we're providing the education in a piecemeal way at the right time. And the education is also specific for your specific scenario. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect, but it's way better than anything out there that exists right now. And then finally, do not focus on yourself as the hero. I think like you need to focus on how your company or your changes are like impact driven. So specifically for us at Dwellwell, actually, it's interesting. We have seen a lot of our customers have been first generation immigrants who are in tech. Hmm. So people who... um their family doesn't have a history of home buying, but now they're in tech. And so they have enough money to make a purchase. And they're like, what the fuck? Like, this doesn't serve me. The way that like the traditional home buying process works does not serve someone like me. And so that's who I like to focus on. Those are the people that really get me up in the morning and help me come to work is like, I want to talk about serving this group of people because they have been crazily underrepresented and are crazy disadvantaged. And so- Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm very passionate about it. So I like talking about that part. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's great. And so the final item is to create a framework to allow others to jump in easily and help. Um, At Reddit, this was pretty easy. I just created 20 tickets with the most common errors that we were seeing. um, And I put it on um, like in a ticketing board. And naturally, when people saw the success of the first change that I made, people were like, oh, my God, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? Hmm. I had five engineers work on this project over the course of a week. And this resulted in a total reduction of 149 million lines per day. So a total overall reduction of 96%. Wow. Which was crazy in a week. Um, And so after we did that, like people started paying attention, like the exec team paid attention, the engineering org as a whole paid attention. um, And they continued to pay attention for the remainder of my tenure at Reddit. I got invited to new meetings. I was put in the top performers tier. I won an internal award. I became a tech lead and then a tech manager. But the most important part is that my salary increased. It jumped by like 30%. Wow. I mean, it was nuts. And so I think that you can also relay this back into startups too, right? It's like after you find success and you've chatted about your initial success with your product, make it easy for VCs and people who want to join your company, make it easy for them to do so. Mm-hmm. Figure out what it is that you need. What kind of funding do you need? Who do you want it from? What kind of team do you need to build? What's your burndown chart? Make it easy for you to allow others to help you. Um, and like I said, for a startup, I think it really is figuring out if you do want to go on a VC funding route, figuring out how to make it easy for VCs to throw money at you. Yeah. And I think this is like thinking about this as a whole. I mean, there's so many things coming up for me, but along the lines of making it easy, like this makes you think, make it easy for clients to, to, to work with you, you know, like oh, yeah. make, oh, that, make that process easy. And like, 
uh, the third piece, talk about it, like sharing, like, don't be afraid to share your successes on social media, through your email marketing, on your website, like really own how well you're doing something. And even number two, like, I like the idea of step number two, I'm like working my way backwards here. Um, and with the idea of like being and staying curious, like just because you already have, if you already have a business doesn't mean it can't change. It can't evolve. It can't get better. And I love the idea of like, what's one small little shift I can use to bring in more revenue or take work off my plate or make this offering better for my clients so that they want to work with me longer. Like the idea that it gets to just, you get to be curious always and it gets to be really simple. Like we don't have to make these big, huge changes to cause a massive impact, even small impact. Like you're saying, that was the start of the ripple effect. So that, even though it was small or whatever, it still was necessary. And actually, like in the grand scheme of things, really big. Exactly. And I would actually say, like, not only is it you said like we should be making small changes to your business like that might happen i would say it's actually necessary mm-hmm. i mean you see businesses go under all the time because they did not keep up with like necessary changes or generational changes right so bringing it back to dwell well it's like the baby boomer and gen x generation is served like pretty well by the current mm-hmm ecosystem for buying a house, right? They are used to interacting with salespeople and having advisors kind of guide them through the process. Millennials and Gen Z do not, like, they make up their mind before ever talking to a salesperson typically, Mm -hmm. right? It's like we go on Reddit or I go look at Amazon reviews or I go on TikTok and see what people are recommending. It's very rare that I'm going to go into like Sephora, for example, and I'm like, you tell me what I should buy. Instead, I'm going to be like, Hey, I saw this specific, like Charlotte Tilbury highlighter on TikTok, And like, where is that? Just shade match me. I don't need a salesperson to drive the sale. I already know what I want. And so it's like, we do that for small purchases. Why don't we do this for the biggest purchase of our lives? I mean, it's just ludicrous. And so Mm -hmm. I think to wrap this back up to what you were saying, I think a lot of existing prop tech companies, that's, that stands for property tech, um, don't have the perspective that their business needs to be shifting towards a generation with different purchasing behavior. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I think dwell well. I mean, it's just going to knock the socks out of some of these legacy prop tech companies. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also when you're evaluating your business or anyone who's listening, it is very necessary to make changes that keep up with um I wouldn't say trends, but shifts in like the zeitgeist of like up and comers or or the people who are spending mm-hmm. the money. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. Consumer behavior, consumer, you know, what's your, even just looking at your specific niche of clients, like how are they shifting? How are they, you know, like if you're, for example, a, a marketing coach, like how are people finding that type of support now? You know, like what's the way that they're going to find you and how can you shift your offering um, so that they can do that in this particular example. So, yeah. And I mean, right. It's like, if people haven't changed their business, let's say your, your coach, it's like, if you're not changing your business with the times we saw a major overhaul in how people like to work with COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, a major shift in how people think about work and how they bring work into their lives and how the younger generations you know, I think some of the older generations, myself included, are like, I live to work. 
But I think the zeitgeist is changing where people work to live and are, are spending a lot more time thinking about their lives outside of work. And how does that change your business and, and your or whoever's listening? I know you're a coach, like your coaching yeah. practices and stuff like that. And I think it's, it's just important to stay on top of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And again, to just like repeat one more time, because I think it's so important that like it gets to be little small things. Like it does not need to be this big, massive shift. It's like one little thing at a time. And then talking like it's like follow this process for every small little shift that you make, like make that small shift and then share about it and then figure out how you can use that to bring people in to support you or whatever it is that comes next for you in terms of making that possible for your business. And then just like repeat. Like you're saying, like a repeatable process. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be big for you to talk about it. It can be yeah. a small shift. Don't wait until you've 100% solved the problem to talk about it. Talk about each incremental, tiny, tiny, tiny little increase that you see. It's going to give you more opportunities to like talk about your business, advertise yourself to others. Like you don't need to wait for it to be perfect to start talking about it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, people want to be part of the process. Like people want to cheer you on. They want to see your journey that makes you more human and make gives them some be, something to connect to. And exactly like you said earlier in the call, like that is probably one of the biggest things I find people have a hard time talking about themselves and the awesome things that they're doing. So um, I loved your suggestion on really talking about it from like an impact through an impact lens rather than like, look at me and the things I'm doing. It's like, look at this impact that's happening as a result of this program or, you know, my business. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. So we have the four steps. I think it's super relevant for entrepreneurs, for our listeners. Is there anything else you would need to add for us to sort of walk away knowing like this is how we do this and how we make the most of it? You know, just to echo exactly what we just said, which I don't want to like bore your listeners, but truly I find people have a hard time talking about it. A lot mm -hmm. of people think they don't and they do. And so I will leave you with that, that if you are someone who's like, no, no, I talk about it enough. Probably you don't. You probably don't. <laughs> yeah. So do not be shy about that stuff. That is truly shocking to me because I love talking about this kind of stuff. But um, I've found like 99% of the time, this is a step that people have, have the hardest time with. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I would say for listeners, challenge yourself, let's say, for the next seven days after listening to this episode, can you share about something in your business five times to whether it's to, it could be to a person directly. It could be through an Instagram post. It could be through your stories. It could be in a TikTok video, like challenge yourself to do that at least five times and see if resistance comes in. hundred. I mean, I would even say challenge yourself to do it five times on Twitter. So one tweet a day, five mm -hmm. times in person. And then like, five outreaches to like different publications or podcasts or whatever. I mean, really go for it. F even just five alone, I would say is too low. You should be five tweets a week at a minimum of talking about, <laughs> talking I love about it. business. <laughs> you know what, you guys, you do what you feel you need to do. Let's, uh, let's start at five at the very, very, very minimum. Um, but bonus points, if you do like 15 to 20, um, cause I mean, it's true. And I think something I'll just say while we're on the topic of it, like you guys also have to remember ladies, you also have to remember like most posts, like 1% of people actually see that content. And so if you want to grow your business, you actually have to do this and you have to do it over and over and over and over again, because it's often not until that 10th tweet 
or that fifth Instagram story that anyone that someone who might possibly be able to use your your what you have to offer actually sees it. Like it is required if you want to grow your business, you have to talk about it. That's, that's just the that's line. a great point. That's a great point with the algorithm. Yeah, show like it's not going to surface twenty tweets in a row. You don't have to worry about annoying people. I think that's a great point. Yeah, trust me, people are not paying attention. Let's just let's just be all real real with ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> we know the the classic uh, scroll and tap. We've all been there. We're not actually paying attention. Um, well, this is really really cool. I love this framework so much. Um, before we shift gears, is there one gem and it might have something to do with this might have something to do with something completely different that if listeners were to walk away with nothing else, but this, you would, you'd want to make sure they knew this. Yes. I think like we didn't like bring this full circle, but kind of like the, the entire thesis of this framework and this talk and this mindset is like your success is your responsibility. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so regardless of things that can happen to you or you feel like a victim or you feel like someone should be pulling more of their weight or, or whatever it is, at the end of the day, it's your responsibility to find success for yourself. This framework, in my opinion, just helps you get there faster. But I think for a lot of my career, I had this, I hesitate to call it a victim mentality, but it was certainly not an empowered mentality of like, I'm in control of my own destiny. Um, And the more and more I get into entrepreneurship and the more my career has progressed, it's like, oh my God, like everything is my responsibility. I can't wait on someone else to give me approval or tell me yes, or give me money or whatever. Like it's my responsibility to make sure that my professional career plays out in the way I want it to. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the gem that I would leave you with. I love that gem. I love it. So shifting gears, tell us what you're getting intentional about right now. Oh, it's a great question. So I've been getting really intentional about who we're hiring at Well Well. So me and my co-founder and a team of 10 have basically been running this thing for two years. And we're finally at a breaking point where we're like, oh my God, we need experts in in these two roles. So we just hired a head of operations and a head of product who I am like, oh my God, what a relief has been lifted off of my shoulders. These two people are excellent. I mean, our head of ops just started last week and I I can't tell you the relief that it's brought to me being very intentional, extremely picky um, about who we bring in and like who it is that we need to release some of the burden that's been on our shoulders for two years. I mean, it's magnificent. I would say if like people listening are on the fence about like hiring help and you're like, I'm just there. I, 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 maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't like stop torturing yourself. Like you don't need to be tortured to be successful and it's okay to bring people on who are better than you at certain disciplines. I cannot tell you the relief that it's, it's brought for me. So that's something I'm intentional about right now. The other thing I've been intentional about, um, begrudgingly, Working out really does help my mental health. I <laughs> hate working out. I hate it. I think it's, I think it's awful. I really, I'm not one of those people who's like, I love working out because I feel so good. Um, <laughs> I am very intentional about making sure that I get in, you know, the 10,000 steps. I go to the gym and like annoyingly 
it really does work. And so I'm being very intentional about carving out time for that for myself, even though I'd rather be doing anything else. <laughs> Good. Excellent. That's another thing. Well, just a little bit goes a long way. You know, you don't have to have like a whole workout plan, 12 week plan to do something about it. Exactly. <laughs> love it. And last question, where can listeners connect with you? Oh, I would love for people to connect with me on Twitter. So it's just at Sam Caro, S-A-M-C-A-R-O-W. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn, Samantha Caro. I'm actually the only Samantha Caro in the world. So it's very easy to find me, mm. find me on there. Love it. And then if you're, if you're like, uh, damn, I've been having trouble figuring out like how to navigate this housing market. Mortgage rates are like up right now. I've been hearing people talking about how it's a bad time to buy or a good time to buy. Is there a recession? Is there not? Um, please do check out Dwellwall. We're at dwellwall.com. Um, it's free for home buyers. And so, like I said, our mission really is to help the home buyers, specifically, like we've been having a ton of fun helping people who are not our first generation home buyers. I mean, that's who really our niche has been really successful with helping those kind of people. Um, so please do check us out. I, I have a question for you, actually. Sure. What what have you been intentional about in this last week or last month? Oh boy, good question. My God, so much. Um, I am getting really intentional with um, my business, my offering. So we lost a couple um, of our bigger clients just to like shifting of the budget, hiring internally, like common things that happen when you're in consulting. Um, but it has, it was sort of, my word of the year is expansion. Um, and I wanted to stop working with clients that were just coming to me and really get intentional about working with female founded companies. Um, and, but it was like, I didn't have to do it because like revenue was fine and everything was great. And, um, now it's not, and we are trying to fill a gap and we're trying to get back to where we were and then some, um, and continue growing. And so we, my husband, I say, we Ben and I run our business together. We've both been very intentional about really shifting into what we actually want to be doing in this business. Like it's grown organically, really beautifully for the last four years. And now we're in this place for like, okay, now it's time to really like captain the ship and decide where we want it to go. So that's been, it's been really fun. It's a lot of opportunity. It's a little scary, um, but it's also a lot of fun. And I know that it's all happening exactly as it should, when it should, and um, believing in the process. So. Well, I will say a plug, a plug for that is um, my co-founder and I have agreed after our series A, we will be required to get like coaches, whether it's business coaches, therapists, whatever. I think every startup series A and beyond should require the founders to have mm -hmm. coaching. Mm -hmm. And so if anyone listening is like, oh, that's me, I highly recommend starting at this point in your career to get a coach. It is only going to make your business better. Um, and so like just a plug for yourself, like I, I think it's completely necessary for these types of mm -hmm. consulting and, and behavioral um, coaching to exist. And so if, if anyone mm -hmm. listening is series A or beyond, get, get on that. Get on that coaching y'all. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being here. This was a great conversation. And um, yeah, I hope we get to connect again soon. I would love that. And thanks. Thanks everyone for listening. Yeah. Thank you for being here, everyone. We'll catch you on another episode of Mindset Reset Radio.